these clinics being open are causing part of the healthcare crisis themselves because not only are they killing children, but they are also hoarding the materials that are necessary now for these hospitals that are overwhelmed and undersupplied. Hello and welcome. This is Healing the Culture with Camille and Michael. I'm Camille Polly, the president of Healing the Culture. And this is Michael Polly, who is my husband. And uh, some of you may not know that he is uh, the director of communications for Healing the Culture and uh, also has a long history as an activist and a leader in the pro-life movement. Mm -hmm. Michael, you were the original founder of Students for Life of America. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, back in 1987. I'm dating mm -hmm. myself. Yes. It was called uh, American Collegians for Life back then and right. uh, then had a name change. But right. uh, yeah, so I go way back. And you also are a key consultant for Alaska Family Council. That's right. Which does pro-life, pro-family and religious freedom issues. Yes. You are a consultant to the governor of Alaska. Yes. And you are also a consultant to Healing the Culture. And Healing the Culture is my most important client. Yes, of course we are. <laughs> Very good. So we want to let you know, why are we doing this, uh, this podcast? As I mentioned, it's a four-part series. Uh, we want to talk about the coronavirus and how it is affecting the pro-life movement, and particularly what you can do. Um, to continue the pro-life mission and be involved in this very critical time. So you may not be aware, Washington State, which is where we are, is in a shutdown mode. We are uh, operating under a stay-at-home order because of the coronavirus. Um, and so our staff at Healing the Culture, the two days before we went into stay-at-home order, was frantically working. We moved everyone out of the office and they built a studio in my basement where we could still do production for our grammar school and uh, high school curriculum. Uh, for our university curriculum. And then they built this little smaller studio in my home office where we could do these podcasts for you. So, Michael, let's talk about that. We have four major issues. I want to get to all of them. And the first one is um, with the shutdown in effect, um, you know, what what's going to give us a sense of the landscape of the pro-life movement um, in the midst of this crisis? Sure. So one of the big issues, and many of our listeners or viewers are going to be well aware of this, is that um, uh, many state governors have issued um, mandates, uh, two different kinds of mandates. So uh, one mandate is shutting down all non-essential businesses, and a different mm -hmm. kind of mandate um, that's being issued in many states is uh, prohibiting or ordering the cancellation or postponement of any elective medical procedures. In other words, any medical procedures that aren't critical, that okay. could be postponed for uh, indefinitely or for a number of months, uh, governors are ordering those to be postponed. Okay. And so this has led to a situation where um, the question has arisen, how does this affect abortion clinics and how does mm. this affect the performance of abortion? And as you might imagine, um, the politics of this are very different from state to state. So, for example, in states like your home state of New Mexico and, uh, yes. and also the state where we're broadcasting from now, Washington state, the, the governors of these states have specifically exempted abortion clinics and abortions uh, from hmm. these health care mandates. So in Washington right now, 
we can't go to church. Our churches are locked shut, but the pot shops, pot shops are open and the abortion right. clinics can, are open. You can and get so, your marijuana, but you can't get Jesus in it. it so. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Uh, and so. you can get your abortion too. So so that the point is that they're, they're declaring that these abortion clinics are essential services, essential, essential exactly. medical services that's necessary for the well-being of society. Yes, that's the case in yeah. some states. Now, happily, in other states, we have a very different situation. So, for example, in Texas and Ohio and in uh, Mississippi and several other states um, where you have uh, elected statewide officials who are pro-life, um, they are making it very clear that, no, abortion clinics and the abortion procedure is included uh, in the mandates. And so and has to shut down. And they has, have to shut and, down. And have to shut right. down. Um, and so it's interesting to see how this is playing out. So in Texas, for example, uh, Governor Greg Abbott uh, made it abundantly clear that abortions were, in the vast majority of cases, uh, elective procedures and that he expected the abortion clinics to comply. Yeah. Well, Planned Parenthood has filed a lawsuit uh, challenging Governor Abbott's uh, directive, and that's been filed in a federal district court in Texas. And so it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. It appears that um, Texas may give us the first test case to find out whether a federal court will uphold um, you know, this uh, pro prohibition on elective abortions during a time of healthcare emergency. These clinics being open are causing part of the healthcare crisis themselves because Absolutely. not only are they killing children, but they are also hoarding the materials that are necessary now for these hospitals that are overwhelmed and undersupplied. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, the purpose of the mandates that many states have issued requiring the cancellation or postponement of non-essential surgeries is to preserve what is called personal protective equipment, PPE. Yes, which uh, the, are... The, the face masks and surgical mm -hmm. gowns and gloves, gloves. and other things mm -hmm. that are in incredible short supply right now because of the coronavirus pandemic. And so the irony of it is that Planned Parenthood is trying to make it look like they're being singled out for some kind of discriminatory treatment, whereas the reality is, is that they're simply being subject to the same mandate that any other provider is uh, is subject to, and for the same reason that right. that this equipment needs to be preserved in order to manage a healthcare crisis. But they are basically, uh, while they complain that they're being singled out, in reality, what is happening is that they're they're asking for special treatment. Yeah, yeah. you were citing some statistics uh, to me earlier about the number of deaths from coronavirus, the number of deaths from abortion. Yeah. That comparison is very interesting. Yeah. So just looking at the state of Washington, for example, um, we see uh, about 17,000 abortions occurring every year in the state of Washington. How, how many is that a month? Uh, that translates to about 1,400 abortions in a typical Every month. Every month in Washington alone. In Washington state yeah. alone. Mm -hmm. As of the date of this recording, as we're sitting here, the total number of deaths in Washington state from the coronavirus is 153. Now, so you can see that many times more children die every month from abortion than have died in total through the coronavirus epidemic. Now, I hasten to add that 
we shouldn't take that to mean that the coronavirus is no big deal. I mean, as pro-lifers, we know that this disease is victimizing um, the most vulnerable, the frail elderly, those with underlying health conditions. Medically compromised, yes. Exactly. So so the point of, of citing those statistics is not to, you know, minimize the coronavirus, but rather to remind ourselves that there's another preventable uh, cause of death, um, namely abortion, that claims far many more lives uh, every month. I think what this is making me realize is that uh, we pro-lifers, a lot of people are very pro-life and are responding very proactively obeying legitimate government authorities, obeying legitimate church authorities, doing everything it takes, donating blood, going out of their way to comment on Facebook and pass the word around and encourage one another and, you know, and and sign up for pledges, you know, pledges and, and, uh, you know, various initiatives. But, but how many of us who are pro-life don't approach the pro-life issue with that much vitality, with that much, you know, courage and with that much vigor and I think this is a time of reflection for yes. many in the pro-life movement to say, look at the numbers. Look at how many people are being killed by a virus versus those who are being killed by an injustice. Yes. And both of them deserve our attention. Yeah. So what can we do, people watching this? Well, one thing I think that all of our listeners should do is to contact um, the governor in your home state, wherever you happen to be. And I think that that's good advice regardless of where your governor stands. If you're fortunate enough to live in a state like Texas where you've got a great pro-life governor like Greg Abbott, uh, he needs to hear from you. He's getting major pushback from Planned Parenthood and the ACLU and a lot of other yes. um, abortion activists. And so in the case like that, where you've got a governor who's doing the right thing, he needs encouragement. And so I think Good. he should be contacted. Conversely, uh, people like Governor uh, Inslee in Washington State, where we are, um, who has done the wrong thing, he too he needs, needs to know to... this is wrong, and there yeah. are hundreds of thousands who are opposed to what he's doing, yeah. he and needs... that he's responsible. He needs for to this. know. Yeah, he needs for to know the lack of supplies attention. and equipment. Yeah, he needs e- to know that exactly. So. so I want to move to the second issue. With all of this discussion of what's essential versus what's not essential, there is a very essential service um, that is necessary for saving lives that is now shutting down temporarily, 40 Days for Life. Tell us about what you've learned. Yeah, so this came out about a week ago. Unfortunately, uh, Sean Carney, the uh, awesome guy who is the head of uh, 40 Days for Life, <laughs> announced that the at least the spring phase of the public vigils outside abortion clinics uh, would be shut down, again, and, out of an abundance of caution. And it's not because the clinics are shutting down. No, Of course, no. it's because he is, unlike they are, he is concerned about the protection of life Ex- and not passing this disease among the people who are sidewalk exactly. witnessing. Yeah. Exactly, yes. Okay. And so 40 Days for Life is doing its part to try to stop the spread of this virus. Uh, but but as Sean Carney emphasized, just because, you know, the vigils are suspended doesn't mean that our involvement should be suspended. And so, of course, he encouraged uh, prayer and fasting and spiritual union, all dedicated to the cause of ending the virus and ending the scourge of abortion. So, so people can do prayer at home. Mm-hmm. They can still do their 40 days for life at home. They can do this through spiritual adoption. Yes, yes. And spiritual adoption, 
um, is something that many uh, pro-life ministries and faith-based organizations encourage. And many of our listeners are familiar with this already, perhaps through their own churches. But for those who aren't, um, what spiritual adoption is, is that you basically spiritually adopt an unborn baby boy or baby girl, and you make a commitment to pray for that child every day for nine months. Okay. And there's various different forms of this, but, but one of the most uh, popular ones involves uh, a daily prayer uh, that was uh, encouraged by the late Archbishop Fulton Sheen. It's a very beautiful prayer, very short one, so yeah, it's, it's very easy, easy to, to yes. very easy to do. <laughs> Um, and again, there's many, many websites out there that encourage spiritual adoption. You know, our listeners could just Google it, but, but one specific website they might consider going to, it's called spiritualadoption.org. That's spiritualadoption, all one word, .org. And on that website, you can find the uh, Archbishop Fulton Sheen prayer and some other information about yes. how, to, uh, how to do this devotion. Right. And I understand yeah. you can even pick the gender of your child if you yeah. want that child to be a boy or a girl yeah. and even give your child a name so that it becomes more real and personal to you. Absolutely. Beautiful, wonderful thing to do. Um, and that leads us into another area, which is uh, the funding of abortion. So we know people have been seeing this on the news for some time, this debate and this wrangling about, uh, you know, the pro-abortion members of Congress trying to stuff the aid bills that Congress has been trying to pass with abortion funding, despite the fact that President Trump has done such a wonderful job in removing, uh, you know, federal funding of of abortion. Uh, Tell us about what's happened. Where are we at now? Yeah, so just last week, um, President Trump signed uh, into law what's called the CARES Act, which is the major bill that probably everybody's been reading about in the media, this massive, gigantic uh, uh, bill that uh, both provides resources to help combat coronavirus, but also provides uh, a lot of economic relief measures for small businesses and other people who are suffering the economic effects. Yes, exactly. And so um, part of this was that there's going to be these forgivable small business loans. um, That's part of this bill. And uh, certain pro-abortion members of Congress were trying to make sure that Planned Parenthood would be eligible to receive these loans. Happily, that was uh, averted. And the bill that President Trump actually signed into law included Hyde Amendment type language that ensures that none of the different funding streams that are contained in this bill will be used to subsidize That's abortion. That's wonderful. But we know that Congress is continuing to, you know, propose more legislation that would provide more aid. Yeah. Um, and they're going to continue to try to stuff these bills with abortion funding and other malicious things. What do we do to watch out for that? And what can we do to put our voice forward? Well, what I always advise pro-life advocates to do um, is... Uh, you need to get on the mailing list for one of the organizations that works on this full time. And there's quite a few of them out there, and I can't list them all, but I'll just list two that I rely on a lot for news about what's going on in Washington, D.C. And one of them would be the Family Research Council. Um, I think their website is frc.org, so pretty easy Mm -hmm. to remember. Uh, And then another one would be the Susan B. Anthony list. Um, And both of those organizations do a really good job of tracking issues going on on Capitol Hill. Um, When you visit their websites, you can see a place where you can sign up and be in their mailing list. And so, um, but what you said is absolutely right, is that the the bill that the president just signed into law, this will not by any means be 
the last battle that we see uh, related to abortion on Capitol Hill. These things come up on a recurring basis. And the best way to, to help is to make sure you're plugged into one of these organizations that's following it day by day. Students for Life of America, that's Christian Hawkins group. Yeah. Uh, and also, they're also doing on their homepage, you can click on something that'll show you a map of the states that are uh, you know, declaring abortion essential versus non-essential, the first topic we yes. were talking about. So these are great resources to go to. Absolutely. The, the last subject I want to talk about is uh, something that's new coming up now and it's causing a lot of confusion. I was watching the news just last night, the first I heard of it, um, and there was a discussion about what's happening with patients um, in these hospitals that are overwhelmed and understaffed. Yeah. And you've got these patients who are going into distress and um, there's discussion now that some of these doctors and nurses may be ignoring the requests of those patients to provide life-saving care when they're in distress and ignoring and maybe um, overriding the wishes and intentions of the family members when the mm -hmm. family is speaking on behalf of them. And there's a lot of confusion right now about what's going on, a lot yeah. of anger about it, when really we don't, there's not enough, mis there's not enough information right now. My understanding from what I was watching, there was a woman doctor on the news and she was talking about how um, you know, when you're in the hospital and a patient is a coronavirus victim is going into distress all of a sudden because the virus affects the lungs, they will begin coughing and, you know, spewing. And there's just a lot of stuff that enters into the air around them. Yeah. And so the doctors and nurses can't just run in there. Um, they have to actually fully gear themselves up with mm -hmm. protective masks and things and you know the whole suit i guess mm -hmm. the hazmat suit or whatever they're calling oh, right. it because otherwise they risk catching the disease themselves they risk passing it on to other vulnerable patients and so yeah. the concern is if they go into these rooms without first suiting up they're yeah. vulnerable but if they suit up it takes them two to three minutes and by the time they get to the patient the patient can now be permanently brain damaged yeah. from lack of oxygen and so it, this is more of a triage situation, which is currently de under development. Yeah. What have, you, what have you learned about this? Well, I mean, as you pointed out, um, we, th this has only kind of come out in sort of like the last 48 hours. And mm -hmm. at least based on the research that we've done so far, it appears to be uh, something that's only being discussed at the level of like individual hospitals or individual hospital systems. Uh, okay. but, it, but it doesn't appear to be anything like, you know, a, a state government uh, no mandate. being made right not, now. Not at this time. Now, having said that, um, you know, are, are pro-life people wise to be concerned about this? Absolutely. Because I mean, we've as we, seen the trajectory. Yes, we've yes. seen the history. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're broadcasting right now here from the state of Washington, which is one of the handful of states that has legalized physician-assisted suicide. So we've seen a whole series of uh, efforts over the years that uh, marginalize um, those who are elderly, those who are terminally ill, Etc. And so I, I think that pro-lifers are wise to be concerned, but I think we're too early in this now to, to draw any conclusions about what may or may not be proposed because it appears to just be a whole series of discussions going on okay. about what we do in a situation of triage. And triage is basically that situation where you um, have to make priorities about who gets treatment in what order based upon their condition and, and, and other factors. And so um, medical ethics um, 
doesn't just fly out yeah. the window when you're yeah. in a triage Morality situation. Still Morality still applies, mm -hmm. but there it is true that there are some unique um, things that happen in a triage situation where you've got a, more patients than you have resources to treat. Um, and one resource that I've found that is provides very good information on this is the National Catholic Bioethics Center. Um, their website, for those who may be interested, is uh, NCB Center. So NCB is in National Catholic Bioethics Center.org. And they have a whole page of Corona virus information that's very relevant. And, and one of them is an exploration of the subject of triage, which is okay. how do hospitals ethically deal with these situations where you've simply got more patients than you have resources to appropriately care for them based upon the standards that would have been in effect okay. before you got into a, a triage. There is something else people should be doing about this issue, which is making sure that they have a durable power of attorney. Yes, for healthcare decisions. Yes, exactly. which means giving someone else, legally giving someone else in writing right now, the authority to make medical decisions on your behalf if you do become incapacitated. Michael is my durable power of attorney. <laughs> I feel quite safe. Some of you are wondering why I'm not practicing social distancing. He's my husband, so we're good. So, But these are all wonderful things that we can do, uh, good resources and websites that we can visit. Um, and I think... Uh, I think you've given us a, a whole lot of action items, too. So we want to encourage you to do your part and to um, take use of the resources, make use of the resources that Michael has mentioned. Um, as I mentioned, this is a four-part series, so we will be doing three more podcasts on issues related to the coronavirus and the pro-life movement. We encourage you to pray for us. We are praying for you. And uh, if you have any questions or comments that you would like to make or would like to see us address on a future podcast, you can email those to us at mail at healingtheculture.com. So God bless you, and we'll see you soon.